The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. And for Rick Ballou, the rest of the week, glad you are with us with Dylan Denmark, the hacker, Ryan Green, here with you. Coming up tonight, well, we got a lot, man. We got a lot of different things. We got kind of a hodgepodge for you. A little NBA as the second half of the NBA season gets underway tonight. Now that the all-star break is in the rearview mirror, we got some college football, we got some NFL free agency, and we have some NFL draft talk. We'll begin in about 20 minutes. Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network. Talked to Dalton earlier about Arden Key and the Jaguars. And what's interesting, you know, we talked so much about Jawan Taylor, so much about Evan Ingram. Dalton's got a write-up on ProFootballNetwork.com. He thinks Arden Key is one of the most underrated, undervalued free agents that there is in a lackluster free agent market for quarterback pass rushers. So we'll talk Arden Key, we'll talk Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, and more with Dalton Miller of ProFootballNetwork.com. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Coming up in about 45 minutes or so, Zach Goodall, AllGators.com. I do want to spend some time on them in just a bit, talking about where Gator football is right now, where Gator basketball is right now, because it's not a good place for either team. Zach Goodall, allgators.com, part of Sports Illustrated. He's coming up later on in the 6 o'clock hour. And in hour number two in the 7 o'clock hour, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network as we look ahead to the Combine next week, look ahead to what the Jaguars need to accomplish in the draft. Ryan also covers the Washington Commanders. Got a pretty interesting take from him on the Eric Bieniemy situation in Washington why Eric Bieniemy left Kansas City to take the Washington job. On the surface, it seems pretty obvious, right? Prove yourself away from Andy Reid. There might have been a little bit more as to why Eric Bieniemy took that job. We'll get to that in the 7 o'clock hour and finally later on at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour, my friend Brian Tapork of Bleacher Report and Forbes talking NBA as, again, the association starts back up tonight. So as you can tell, we are loaded And we are glad you are with us on a Thursday. As we do every night to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so I'm watching Gator basketball last night. And they battled, and they fought, and they scratched, and they clawed, and they got it to within four, and then got it to within two with a minute to go, and ultimately came up short against Kentucky. They're now, what, seven and eight, I believe, in SEC play. They're right around 500 overall. They're on the bubble, squarely on the bubble, for the NIT. They're a bubble NIT team. Certainly not going to the NCAA tournament. Probably weren't going there anyway, even if Colin Castleton did not get injured. Of course, Castleton did get injured, which has probably ended their season. I'm not sure if they win another game this year. So that's the Gator basketball side of things. Gator football, oh boy. 
Where do you want to begin there? Patrick Tony leaves yesterday to take a job at Arizona with the Cardinals in the NFL. Since then, two other assistants, including most recently today, Kerry Colbert, have left also to take jobs in the National Football League. Is it a mass exodus in Gainesville? I'm not ready to say that yet, but it doesn't look good. Here, you I mean, spring football begins next week. You've lost your defensive coordinator, your tight ends coach, and your wide receivers coach in the span of about 24 to 36 hours. So the Gators got a lot of hiring to do before spring football begins, I want to say a week from today or a week from tomorrow. It's right around the corner. You know, 2006, 2007, 2008, we're not all that long ago. Long enough, I understand we're talking, you know, 15 years plus, but it doesn't seem like that long since Tim Tebow was doing his thing in Gainesville and Brandon Spikes and Percy Harvin and Major Wright and Ahmad Black and the Pouncey Twins were doing their thing in Gainesville. Just like it doesn't seem all that long ago that Al Horford and Joe Kim Noah and Corey Brewer, Torian Green, Chris Richard, Maurice Spates were doing their thing in Gainesville. Gators were on top of the college athletic world. Again, holding simultaneous basketball and football titles. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Urban Meyer, a young up-and-coming coach, Billy Donovan, Billy the Kid still even in 2006 and 7 and 8. And now here we are in 2023, and the bottom has fell out. Florida football? It's a below-average SEC program. That's reality. That's where you are. There are 14 teams in the SEC right now. Who are you taking over Florida? Well, let's do it. You're taking Georgia over Florida, obviously. You're taking Tennessee right now over Florida. Kentucky's beat you two years in a row. You're going to take them over Florida. Vanderbilt beat you, although I still would think you're better than Vandy. Are you better than South Carolina? I know South Carolina, you beat them last year, but South Carolina... Everybody loves them coming into 2023 with wins over Clemson and Tennessee to end their regular season. At best, you're fourth in the East behind Georgia, behind Tennessee, and behind Kentucky. In the West, good grief. You're behind Alabama. You're behind LSU. You're behind Ole Miss. You're probably level par with A&M. You're probably level par with Mississippi State. You're probably level par with Arkansas. Auburn, I don't know, probably level par with them. Florida's eighth or ninth in the SEC right now when it comes to football. There are 14 teams. Let me do my Wolfson High School math on that. Yep, that means they are bottom half of the league. In basketball, they're bottom half of the league. There are a lot of SEC teams that will make the NCAA tournament. Florida is not one of them. Now, it's not necessarily fair to blame Billy Napier, who's only been on the job one season. It's not necessarily fair to blame Todd Golden, 
who has been on the job less than one full season. But the reality is where Florida was certainly 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, and where they are now is drastic. Drastic. I was talking to a Gator alum earlier, called it embarrassing how the football team has performed, how the basketball team has performed. It's unfortunate. I'm not exactly sure when it will get any better. For football, man alive. I'm trying to garner confidence coming into 2023. I'm trying to find a way for Florida football to be in the mix in 2023, potentially for a good bowl game, a good showing in the Southeastern Conference. And I look at that schedule. 12 games that Florida's going to play, they will be an underdog or it'll be close to a pick I'm in nine of them. The only games that I'm certain Florida's going to be a favorite in is McNeese State, Charlotte, and Vanderbilt. You could make the argument that in every other game, they could be the underdog. Arkansas and Gainesville, I'm not sure if Florida's favorite in that game. At Missouri, at South Carolina, at LSU, are you kidding me? At Utah, are you kidding me? Georgia here, Florida State, Tennessee, Kentucky. Find me six wins on that football schedule. Is Florida going to miss a bowl game? And coming off a 6-7 and seven campaign, Gator fan, you know as well as I do, you know what you're going to say about Billy Napier if they do not go to a bowl game. You know what you're going to say. It's the same thing you always say when a coach struggles. You're going to start up a website of firebillynapier.com and you're going to scream from the mountaintops that Florida needs a new coach. This is not working. Is that the reason Patrick Tony left? The defensive coordinator in Gainesville, is there a thought that Patrick Tony left in part because of what was going on around him, what was going on, what was being said about he, potentially his family? I'll tell you, man, it's tough right now in Gainesville. You forced Mike White to leave. No, I don't necessarily blame you for that. I thought it was time for Mike White to go. But I don't know if Gator fans care enough about basketball to put the heat on Todd Golden. Wait till next year. If Florida does this again next year in basketball, you'll be doing the same thing to Todd Golden. You'll be calling for his job. Very little patience in college athletics. And the University of Florida, the Gators, right at the top of that list. I am objective enough to admit that. Florida fans, you do not have any patience whatsoever. You do not let time pass by so things can be built. If things do not work right out of the gate, there are problems. And is that the reason why Florida football is where they are? Think about it. Think about Steve Spurrier, right? Took the job from 90 to what, 01, 02? Then you go to Ron Zook, three years. Urban Meyer, what was he there? Six years. Will Muschamp, four years. Jim McElwain, three years. Dan Mullen, four years. And now you're already arguing about Napier going into year two. So in the last two decades, since Spurrier left, you've gone through Ron Zook, one, Urban Meyer, two, 
Will Muschamp, three. Jim McElwain, four. Dan Mullen, five. You're on your sixth coach in the last 20 years. It's not exactly a way to build something when your football coaches are averaging three and a half years on the job before they either leave on their own accord or they are fired. Basketball, we'll see. Mike White was given to me a little too much time, but now Todd Golden's gotten off to a rocky start. We'll see what happens there. There is no question that Gator Athletics right now, it's down times. Will it get better? Yeah, it should. They got the money. They got the resources. I think they got the right guy in Billy Napier, although more things you hear, the more people you talk to, you begin to wonder a little bit, particularly when not one, not two, but three assistants have decided to leave the Gator program in the last 24 hours. That, to me, is not the sky falling, but that, to me, is certainly a little concerning. Want to talk a little NFL, too. Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, coming up in just a moment. I did want to mention this little nugget. This just kind of rubbed me the wrong way earlier today. I'm normally over the lack of respect that the Jaguars get nationally, particularly now that they're going to start winning games on a much, much, much more frequent basis. But did you see Pro Football Focus today came out with their final list? They've been releasing them gradually all week. The top 101 players in the NFL for 2022. The top 101. We mentioned this earlier. Trevor Lawrence came in at number 94. All right, that's ridiculous, but at least he was on the list. Tyson Campbell came in at number 90. And they've been releasing 25 a day. Campbell and Lawrence debuted on Monday. So I looked Tuesday, the 25 that came out, didn't see any Jaguars. Thought, huh. Yesterday, 25 more came out, didn't see any Jaguars. And finally today, the final 25 came out. Again, not one Jaguar. According to Pro Football Focus, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the AFC South champion, a team that made it to the divisional round of the postseason and gave the eventual world champions all they wanted, did not have one player in their eyes that was among the top 89 players in the NFL. Foye Aluikun, Evan Ingram, Brandon Sheriff, Zay Jones, Travis Etienne, Josh Allen, Rayshon Jenkins, Logan Cook. No. Not one in the top 89. Kind of ruffled my feathers a little bit, to be honest. But I guess it comes with the territory. That stuff will be easily forgotten if Jacksonville keeps winning games, which I expect they will. Free agency will be a part of that. We're 18 days away from Monday, March 13th. Coming up next, Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network. We have spent so much time on Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor, and we'll continue. We'll talk with Dalton about those guys. But Dalton had a story and a video up on Pro Football Network yesterday calling Arden Key one of the most underrated, undervalued guys coming into all of free agency. He laid out the framework as to why it is vital the Jaguars re-sign Arden Key. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the other free agents. 
and we'll look at the Jaguar offseason outlook. Coming up, Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, is next on Hacker After Dark. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We are inside of three weeks until NFL free agency. Of course, the Combine is next week, if you can believe that, as the offseason really is heating up all over the National Football League. With that, Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, how we doing, man? Fantastic. Always uh, ready to talk some ball. Hey, Dalton, always appreciate the time. You had an interesting video on social media earlier this week talking about Arden Key. Now, here in Jacksonville, we're so caught up in Evan Ingram, so caught up in Jawan Taylor. We'll get to those guys. But, Dalton, seemed like you were very high on Arden Key, a very under-the-radar, I guess, free agent for you. Yeah, uh, I really like Arden Key, and it's, it's a down-free agency class just in general. Um, it, it doesn't have near the talent that the 2022 class had in free agency, but I, I think that there are some you know little gems, and I think Arden Key is one of those guys. He uh, he has never really been a down-in, down-out guy. He hasn't played a, a ton or a bulk of the snaps. He's been more of a you know come in on second and long, third and long, rush the passer from a d- bunch of different spots. But quietly, he's become a very good run defender as well. And I think if a team wants to to play him, or even if the the Jacksonville Jaguars want to retain him, um, I think that he's a guy that can step in and play in a starting role if you need him to. Although I do think his best fit is as that, you know, kind of pass rush specialist on third down, somebody who can come in and even at at 240 pounds is kind of a difference maker, you know, coming through the B gap as well. He's just a, a really fun player overall. Dalton, it's interesting. We always talk about the one-year prove-it deals, right? That's what they're commonly referred to. The Jaguars have two guys hitting free agency that did that a year ago, Arden Key, and and we'll get to Evan Ingram here in a moment. Boy, they certainly proved it. And Arden Key, the interesting thing about him, his sack numbers were only four and a half, and if that's all you look at, that doesn't tell the whole story. He was disruptive. He caused a lot of plays to happen that he didn't necessarily – get credit for and I agree with you I think Jacksonville's got to try to find a way to keep him the problem is he's only 26 he'll be 27 in May and he's probably going to garner a lot of attention on the open market yeah with it being a little bit of a down year I could see him making quite a bit more money uh, than he made this past offseason although with him only playing around 40 percent of the defensive snaps for the Jaguars maybe teams are still kind of looking at him as that rotational edge rusher. And if they look at him that way, I, I can't imagine the Jacksonville Jaguars don't try to, you know, retain him, you know, and more of the top of the market, but still at a, a reasonable price for what he brings. You can check out Dalton Miller at pro football network. He's always kind enough to join us here on 10, 10 XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, that does bring us to Evan Ingram a career year for Evan Ingram. He actually set the Jaguar franchise record for receptions by a tight end and reception yardage for a tight end in a single season. All indications are that he wants to be back. The Jaguars want him back. Could they potentially use the franchise tag if they can't get something done in the next week and a half? But I think, Dalton, and I'm curious your opinion, at this point I would be surprised 
if Evan Ingram hit free agency on Monday, March 13th. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't let him hit free agency. I, I think he's fantastic. Um, for me, and especially in Doug Peterson's offense, I think that he's a, just a fantastic fit. Um, I think it took that, you know, for him to really be productive. You know, obviously, the, the regime in New York didn't use him properly. He is not a tight end. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, he is a wide receiver playing the tight end position. And, you know, it's kind of nice because it keeps his cost down. Tight ends obviously cost far less than wide receivers do, especially when it comes to that franchise tag. Um, but I think Doug Peterson can really bring the best out in him. And I don't think we've seen his top end yet. I think he's still going to continue to get better. And, you know, if we see Calvin Ridley come back, you know, depending on what happens with him, you're going to see a wide open field for Evan Ingram next year. Dalton, there are no drawbacks to me for Evan Ingram except one. And maybe I'm overthinking this. He is going to be 29 before the season gets underway. Does that at least affect if you're Trent Baalke, the GM here, do you give him a three-year deal as opposed to a four- or five-year deal? Would age come into play there at all, knowing he is going to be 29 before the season? Um, yeah, I think his athleticism is still, you know, pretty much intact. He stayed, you know, relatively healthy throughout his career. He hasn't had any, you know, really terrible injuries that have kind of zapped his athleticism. I think he can play into, you know, 32, 33 year and, and be okay. Um, still be that kind of freak athlete that he already is. So I, I think that he's okay uh, when it comes to this contract. There are some other guys in free agency that I would, you know, think about not giving a long-term deal to, but he's not one of them. Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, the other one that everybody's talking about here is the one that's probably going to garner the most interest on the open market, and that's Jawan Taylor. He's never missed a game in his four-year NFL career, arguably his best season, although there seems to be a disconnect, Dalton, and I'm curious your thoughts. Here in Jacksonville, we were very high on Jawan Taylor. Yet there are some analytic websites, and I guess it depends what you think of analytics, that maybe were not as high on Jawan Taylor in 2022. What was your thought on him? I think he's a good football player. Um, somebody who definitely has ascended. You know, this past season was definitely his best season. I think it took him some time to really get things going. And you're right, depending on where you look, um, what you know you look at when it comes to offensive line metrics, uh, they, they will look at him unfavorably, but I think that he played really well overall. I mean, you have a, a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that is quite good uh, at escaping and kind of navigating pressure. Um, and, and overall, I, I think that he had a good year. I mean, even those analytical websites that, you know, people would like to uh, talk about the most, uh, I, I think still had good overall, you know, pass blocking efficiency numbers for him. Um, I think that he's not the most explosive or, or powerful run blocker in the world. But I think when you look at that offense in totality, there's no problem uh, with giving him kind of a long-term deal to go forward. I think that he is, you know, kind of an ascending player overall. There's a thought here in Jacksonville, Dalton, that Evan Ingram will be back. Arden Key is the question mark. And Jawan Taylor, maybe the most likely guy to leave just because of the price tag and some of the salary constraints the Jaguars have combined with Walker Little currently being on the roster. Now, if we assume Cam Robinson is going to come back healthy at left tackle, is it as simple as, all right, as good as Walker Little was at left tackle at the end of the year, you just swing him out to right tackle to replace Jawan Taylor? 
or could it be more complicated than that? Um, it always depends on the person. You know, Walker Little is somebody who played left tackle in college, so it's a little bit of an iffy situation to move somebody from the left side to the right side. Uh, your your feet are completely uh, opposite. You know, it is it is not like Madden where you can just switch spots and be okay. Some guys are able to do it, and other guys just aren't. I don't know what the the case would be with Walker Little. I don't know how much time he has spent on the right side, if any at all. Um, but what I will say is there are, you know, a, a couple of names at right tackle who might be a little less expensive than Juwan Taylor in free agency. Then you might be able to look at a couple of the older guys, um, somebody like George Font maybe to come in and, and be kind of a relief guy if, if Walker Little doesn't work out. It won't cost a lot of money, but you can have him. He's been a, a decent player for the Jets for a long time now. Um, or, you know, you can, you know, bite the bullet and find the money you know, for a long-term deal for Jawan Taylor. Um, I don't see why that would be a bad decision. You know, he's only 25 years old and he's got a lot of football left in him. A couple of more for Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, rewind the clock back, I guess, three months. Go back to Thanksgiving. The Jaguars were basically four and eight at the time and it was same old, same old. And then just like the seas parted. And the sun began shining down. The football gods, I guess, had had enough of pummeling this city and pummeling this organization. And the Jaguars rattled off six in a row, one of the most historic postseason wins in quite some time in that comeback over the Chargers and really gave the Chiefs all they wanted. The excitement level in this city, as you can imagine, has just skyrocketed. What was your opinion, Dalton, on what the Jaguars did at the end of last year and the forecast for them moving into 2023? Well, I think Trevor Lawrence is just going to continue to get better. I think that that offense could be really, really scary next year. If Calvin Ridley comes back, that offense is going to be very good. And what I liked most about the Jaguars, especially late in the season, is their defense really started to improve down the stretch. Now, I think that they can make a couple of moves in free agency and in the draft to kind of uh, fix a couple of the holes that they have there. Uh, the pass rush was kind of up and down, even though I like a lot of the pieces that they have on the front line. Um, so I think, you know, get those young linebackers uh, some more time, um, a little bit more seasoning. And I think that this is a defense that could be, you know, average or even a little bit above average next year. And an offense that could legitimately be a top five offense in the NFL next year. And you guys, you know, really have a lot of reasons to be excited. You saw somebody who in Trevor Lawrence was not very good as a rookie. And there was situational issues, you know, with, with that, he was not in a good situation. Um, but a lot of that was just some bad play from him. And you really saw why he was one of the most coveted draft prospects of this generation, um, this past season. And I think he's going to continue to grow from that. Dalton, as we begin to wrap up, you look at the division, boy, a lot of turnover in the last month, the new general manager in Tennessee, and they just cut what, four or five guys uh, earlier this week, including Taylor Lewan, including Robert Woods and Zach Cunningham. Then you got a brand-new head coach in Houston and D'Amico Ryans, a brand-new head coach in Indy and Shane Steichen. Both of those teams expected to draft quarterbacks in the top five. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to conclusions here, but when these preseason magazines, Dalton, come out in the next few months, boy, Jacksonville – on paper is going to be the overwhelming favorite in the South, correct? 
Yes, uh, I believe they will be the overwhelming favorite in the South. And and I, I do this every single year. I, I did it this year. I, I did it the year before. I always count Tennessee out. I look at the roster. I, I look at the way that they're coached offensively. And I'm like, yeah, they're just not going to be very good. And then they do something to be a good football team. And obviously this year they did something to completely turn things around and be a really bad football team late. Um, but I, I do think Jacksonville should be the favorite going into next season. And I would honestly be quite surprised if they don't win the division next year. Hey Dalton, as we, uh, as we say goodbye last year, last off season, we saw hall of famers switching teams almost every day, right? From Tyreek Hill to Devontae Adams to Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Khalil Mack, go on down the line. A.J. Brown is a great player. He got traded on draft day. I don't know if we'll have near that uh, level of excitement, at least with the big names this year, but certainly there's two guys that we're waiting on resolutions from. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Aaron Rodgers, now back from the retreat of darkness there in Green Bay. What are you hearing on both guys, and do you think one or both guys could be on the move in the next couple of weeks? Honestly, I, I kind of think both of them might be on the move. Um, obviously, the the Baltimore Ravens need to tag Lamar Jackson before they can move him, but he should have no shortage of potential uh, options, you know, for for trade. And Baltimore should be able to get a good return for him. He's a, a one of the most, if not the most, dangerous weapons in the entire NFL. And obviously, he hasn't been able to remain healthy. Him not playing in the playoffs last year, not getting ready. Um, it is a little bit of an issue for the Baltimore Ravens from what, uh, you know, Jeremy Fowler reported today. Um, so I think that they're probably just going to move on from him. Uh, the contract situation, uh, negotiations have not gone anywhere with him. He wants a ton of, of guaranteed money and I don't blame him for wanting a ton of guaranteed money. I, I think that the way that NFL contracts, uh, play out are, unfortunate for the players, you know, especially when you have somebody who has had injury concerns, um, has been banged up here and there, but it's also been a huge part of that team's success over the past couple of years as well. Um, from Aaron Rodgers' standpoint, it's such a weird situation because I, I think that the, the jets feel like a perfect opportunity for him to go and, you know, really kind of compete for a, a division the, the Bills are, are still going to be very good. Miami is going to be very good. But that defense in New York is fantastic. I, I don't see why he wouldn't want to do that. But then they're, you know, out obviously talking about, you know, making Derek Carr a first ballot Hall of Famer somehow. So I uh, I don't know what happens with Aaron. He's such an, an interesting and peculiar character. Um, I think it'll take the right coaching staff and the right situation to really work for him. Dalton, I love the website. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what they can expect when they head over to Pro Football Network. Uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, our mission statement is just to really educate. Um, we don't really do the the hot takey stuff. Obviously, we have to have opinions, um, but we we try to at least uh, comb through our opinions and make educated uh, assessments about what's going on around the league. Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network, one of my favorite websites covering the National Football League. Dalton, really enjoyed the conversation. This is the first time you and I have spoke. It certainly won't be the last. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. There you go, Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network. And it was really interesting what he said about Arden Key. Look, we have spent, again, time and time and time on Evan Ingram and Juwan Taylor. Arden Key's that third guy, right? 
Now, you got other guys like Chris Manhurts, Andrew Wingard, Marvin Jones. In fact, there's 12 unrestricted free agents and one restricted free agent that are set to hit the market. We're 12 days away, 12, I guess, shows away, Hacker After Dark's away from free agency beginnings. We're going to kind of do one player a night moving forward. But Arden Key is a guy that I think a lot of Jaguar fans want back but don't think he's a priority. I got to tell you, this team has trouble getting to the quarterback already. You don't have a lot of guys that have a lot of production and getting to the quarterback. If you're honestly thinking about releasing Roy Robertson Harris for salary reasons and ultimately you lose Arden Key in free agency, well, then you have a problem because Roy Robertson Harris and Arden Key were arguably two of your best three pass rushers at the end of the year along with Josh Allen. Now, you hope Trayvon Walker comes on. You'll do some things in the draft. Maybe you'll add a free agent or two. But if there's any viable way financially to keep Arden Key, you need to do it. What if we talk about improve the pass rush, affect the opposing quarterback over and over and over? Well, you can't be then releasing Roy Robertson-Harris and not re-signing Arden Key. That's not going to work. What you want to have happen is the exact opposite of what would be happening under that scenario. So as important as it is for Evan Ingram, and I believe he is number one, I don't know if Arden Key would not be number two for me. Jawan Taylor, I want back. But again, you have the fallback and Walker Little, who might be very, very good at right tackle. Do you have a fallback if you lose Arden Key? I don't know. I don't think you do have one on the roster right now. You'd probably need to draft one at some point. So the more pass rushers you have, the better off you're going to be. And with Arden Key, who's going to be 27 years old when the season starts, I know he only had four and a half sacks, but he was much more disruptive than that. I hope the Jaguars do everything within their power to try and retain Arden Key. I'm going to do something within my power right now. You know, we're givers here on Hacker After Dark. We're in for Baloo the rest of the week. We're glad you're with us here on a Thursday night edition. Coming up later on this year, I believe in the month of October, Jelly Roll Live, the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena. We have a pair of tickets for you right now. All you have to do is call Dylan Denmark at 641-1010. Be caller number four. And we will hook you up. A pair of tickets, month of October, Jelly Roll Live at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena, caller 4 to 641-1010 right now. Coming up next, let's go to Gainesville. Zach Goodall, allgators.com. What on earth is going on with the Florida football program? They've lost three assistants in the last 36 hours. Is the sky falling? Or is it maybe not as bad as it appears? We'll talk about all that. We'll talk Billy Napier and more with Zach Goodall, allgators.com. That's a part of Sports Illustrated. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, there's never a day where it seems news is lacking down at the University of Florida. Unfortunately, it's been a lot of bad news as of late. Patrick Tony, 
the latest piece of news, a defensive coordinator, a young coach, a good recruiter. The uh, future appeared to be very bright for him six months ago in Gainesville. He might still have a bright future, but apparently now it's going to be in the state of Arizona as he leaves to take a job with the Arizona Cardinals in the National Football League. What happened? For the latest, let's go to Gainesville. Our guy Zach Goodall, allgators.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how we doing? Uh, doing well. It's it's certainly been hectic. I don't know what it is. Um, I guess maybe Arizona is just kind of working with a very strict plan and deciding to hire coaches in bunches. Uh, they they decided to pull both Florida guys at the same time, not just Patrick Tony, but by the sounds of it, tight ends uh, coach William Piegler as well. Yeah, that, that was weird. Again, two coaches on the same day, both leaving the Florida Gators to go to the Arizona Cardinals. You don't exactly see the link there. But let's begin, obviously, with Patrick Tony. Zach, what happened there? I mean, this was a guy that Gator fans were excited about. Billy Napier brought him to Gainesville with him from Louisiana, and it lasts one year, and, and he's gone. It, it's It's interesting to me. Certainly. Um, you know, he was viewed as one of the up-and-comers in college football just a year ago. I mean, for the work he had done at Louisiana with Napier and, uh, and in his previous stops, he had gotten interviews at a couple of other places. Um, I think Baylor, for one, about a year ago. And I, I think the results were pretty clear. Uh, the defense did not turn around in ways that a lot of Florida fans expected it to. That being said, Napier is a huge fan. He's called uh, – Patrick Tony, one of the more elite coaches that he's worked around, uh, and I believe his quote was that he has worked around a lot of elite coaches. So this is someone that he had a lot of respect for. Um, I'm not exactly sure what caused the division. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it's a firing. It's a, it's a Tony taking a promotion because we don't know what his role is going to be. I, I would think that safeties, uh, coaching safeties to some degree, because that's his background is what he'd do with the Cardinals. But at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's leaving play calling duty. So there's a lot that we're still wondering here. But ultimately, I mean, when when the Baylor job came open a few weeks ago, it, there was uh, there were whispers that Tony could be involved there. there. It's not necessarily been a secret that there was the possibility he may not be in Gainesville for the long term. But, you know, once it got past signing day and, and things had settled down, it seemed that at the very least he'd be here for another year. So it did come as a surprise today. That's what's puzzling, Zach. It's not December 22nd, right? I mean, it's not even January 22nd. It's February 22nd. We are, what, you know, 10 days, 14 days away from spring football, really kicking off all over the country. And now Florida's defensive coordinator job, as you and I are talking right now, is open because of the Patrick Tony news. So what do you say to the timing of all this? It, it's it's certainly interesting. Again, it, I, I would love to know what, what prompted it. And maybe it's as simple as Arizona just hired its head coach and came calling and these both Piegler and Tony saw an opportunity to co go coach in the pros. It could be that simple. Um, but it is, it, it, again, it's, it's not something that we really see all that often. There, we've seen a structure with coaching changes now that, you know, if they're getting fired, especially to save recruits, it, it's right after the early signing day or the national signing day. And now, yeah, as you mentioned it, Florida kicks off its spring camp on March 4th, and there's there are candidates that are emerging, I think, for both jobs, although there, there's been even strong reporting for the defensive coordinator job, but they have not finalized any hire as of the time we're having this conversation, and they're, they're roughly, I think, 10 days out. Is that good? All Gators.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. 
Zach, tell me how off base I am. I've been making some calls today, been talking to some folks. And look, I, I don't think it was necessarily all the pressure, but Patrick Tony was very active on social media. Patrick Tony saw what was being said about him. Gator fans wanted him out last year. The defense is terrible. Replace Tony. Could the fans, quite frankly, to put it blunt, could the fans have maybe forced the hand a little bit and for Tony and said, all right, well, you know, you don't like what I'm doing here. I'll go to greener pastures. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump to that conclusion necessarily. Um, but Florida is well known to be a socially active fan base and they're, they can be hard to please. They have high expectations and for good reason, but they make it clear when those aren't being met. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to speak to, to Patrick Tony's instance for, you know, specifically just because I don't know there, but you look back a year ago when Mike White was let go, or I don't even want to say let go. It was basically a mutual parting. It, it was clear that it was time for a change within Florida basketball itself, but also he he wasn't enjoying his job. <laughs> when he had to get on Twitter and, you know, go and look at recruits, uh, you know, interact with them, like their tweets or whatever, he probably came across a tweet every day saying, fire Mike White. It's I can't even imagine what, what it's got to be like to deal with, and, and I'm, sh I'm sure that Tony saw at least a couple of those tweets as well. Zach, look, I mean, the sky's not falling, but you know how Gator fans are. We kind of just spoke to it. So far in 2023, Jaden Rashad bailed because of the NIL, and that was a horrible look. Now Patrick Tony essentially leaves in the middle of the night to go to Arizona. Um, they didn't get anybody out of, the, out of the portal they wanted at quarterback. They – quote, settled for Graham Mertz, who many people are calling Austin Appleby 2.0. I mean, you're, you're, you've lived in Jacksonville, man. You know how the Jacksonville fans are in relation to the Gators. Give them some positive news, because right now, Zach, it doesn't look like there is very much. I mean, you know, I get that perspective, too. Again, this is not something Florida fans are used to. The, the last time they had consecutive losing seasons in the SEC was the 1950s, and Vanderbilt, a loss to Vanderbilt secured that this year. What, from a UF fan's perspective, what is going on? Uh, but the, I think the biggest thing you can do, whether it's you take it optimistically or pessimistically, is you look at this roster and the drastic changes it's undergone. And if you have the hope, you put it into Napier, understanding and, and properly evaluating everyone he's brought in. Because this roster, I mean, I've not seen a college football roster flipped quite like the way Florida's has, at least in terms of quantity over the past year, year and a half. And I think if you want to pull good news from the coaching situation, again, I, I can't confirm whether this is a firing or, or their own choice to leave, but regardless, we see the report with, um, with Austin Armstrong being the potential candidate to replace Tony. You can at least have, you know, I would think a little bit of confidence in Napier that, you know, he saw this was coming or maybe he took initiative to make some changes one way or another. He seemed like he was prepared for this move. Uh, and that's something that I know Florida fans were upset with Dan Mullen for that. He didn't really have that initiative. You know, when it came time to let John Hevesy go and Todd Grantham go, it was viewed as probably a year too late. Zach Goodall, allgators.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, look, Billy Napier is getting a lot of criticism I don't know how warranted it is. And, look, I'm never the defend-the-coach guy, but let's be honest. He was brought in to improve recruiting. He clearly has done that. He got a signed letter of intent from a five-star quarterback in 2023. He's also gotten a verbal commitment from a five-star quarterback 
in 2024 and DJ Lagway. Is it his <clears throat> fault the Rashada thing blew up? I don't know. It depends who you talk to on that. But he got the letter of intent. He went out there and recruited back-to-back five-star quarterbacks, got one letter of intent, already has Lagway committed. That's what Gator fans wanted, right? They wanted to be in the sure. recruiting game. They're in the recruiting game now. So to have this much criticism a year in, to me, quite frankly, is unfair to Billy Napier. See, so many people when it comes to recruiting love to either suggest that coaches bypass the rules or that they should because that's the area uh, of college football recruiting we're in, that they need to you know, throw the bags at the kids, get involved in the NIL, all that kind of stuff. And Billy Napier, to, to his credit, has said this entire time that that's not how he operates. People don't really choose to believe that in, in any sense, but I think the Rashada circumstance is a perfect example of that being true. Again, you're right. He landed the five-star, by our rankings, the number 10 player in the country uh, at quarterback. You know, that is a program-changing acquisition if he makes it to campus, and then he doesn't. And that's not, (laughs) I think, especially with the law that was in place for coaches to not be able to get involved with NIL, I think that speaks to Napier's lack of involvement on that aspect. He got his part of the job done there. Um, Now that we've seen that law change, maybe that'll change, uh, and perhaps Napier will get involved in that aspect. But from the coaching perspective, from, from the recruiting side, and we see some losses now and then, they happen, and I think... A lot of them can be attributed to Florida's NIL structure over the past year beyond Rashada. Just some of the misses they had in Jacksonville, for example, and throughout the state. But ultimately, we have seen the improvement from from years past. Even if they're not necessarily getting every five-star that comes along, I think you see a lot more structure. You know, the defensive back room, Florida's defensive backs, besides the occasional cornerback, have been just not up to standard in the past five years. And the first thing they do is they sign a defensive back class of six prospects. Uh, They did the same thing on the offensive line. They did it at uh, wide receiver, uh, linebacker. They did it in the transfer portal. And that's another aspect is wherever they don't do it in high school, they've been doing it through the portal, really stacking new players at these positions. So it from time will tell what his and his being Napier and his coaching staff's evaluation um, you know, if they're if they're really good at it, if they if they can scan out talent from anywhere, then Florida will turn itself around. And you have to give them a little credit for at least priding themselves on believing that that will be the case. Zach, final question. You said March fourth, spring camp begins. We know the quarterback room; only three scholarship guys in there right now. Max Brown, who I I think is part of the baseball team. I don't even really know how much action he's going to get in the spring. Maybe you can enlighten us on that. But clearly, the big two is Jack Miller and Graham Mertz. Is there a competition there, or is it clearly Graham Mertz's job? I don't know why Graham Mertz would have come here if it weren't his job. Um, Just because of the trajectory he was on at Wisconsin, you know, he could have gone and found a starting job maybe at at a lesser school, or maybe he had some other options, but bottom line is I don't think he was looking to go anywhere to be a backup. And there was... You know, there was an injury to Jack Miller. There was his um, his time at Ohio State. It didn't really pan out. You know, there's not exactly a ton of momentum going his way. So from my perspective, I think it has to be Mertz's job at this point. And you're right with Max Brown. He's, he's actually impressed a bit in baseball. So at the very least, he'll be limited in some capacity. And then there are going to be two freshman walk-ons in attendance. So I don't really see where the competition stacks up to Mertz at this point, at least in terms of if you're looking for an experienced quarterback who's 
who's been there, done that in college football. He's He's got to be your guy of that bunch. And I hate to say this begrudgingly, right, because Austin Appleby is a friend of the program. I've had him on many times. He's now in the coaching profession. He's a buddy. But people are calling Graham Mertz from the Big Ten, Wisconsin, Austin Appleby 2.0, who was from the Big Ten in Purdue. Is that fair? Is Graham Mertz uh, an Austin Appleby clone, if you will, or could he potentially be better than that? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see him in this scheme because there were – if I'm being totally honest, I mean, look, his resume is not that great. I think he's got a 1.4 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. He regressed statistically each year he was there. But that offense didn't really do him any favors. What was once a great rushing offense also regressed each year. And in particular, he had really impressive numbers throwing on play action. They just didn't use it much, which doesn't make sense with the way that run game used to operate. But even the day, the game after Paul Christ was fired, um, they went back to play action. I think Mertz threw five touchdowns again, the second time in his career that he's done that. So Florida's offense comparatively at the very least, and this might be because of who they had at quarterback last year, was a pretty play-action strong offense. And I think if there's anything that could bring out a new, improved, consistent element of Mertz's game, that's exactly it. So, it, you know, from fit perspective, I, I at least get it. For a bridge to get you in between uh, where you're at now and your recruits coming in, he at the very least makes sense. But at the same time, I, I don't see the ceiling necessarily being that high. Zach Goodall, allgators.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, thank you for the time on short notice. We'll do it again uh, during spring football, my man. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me, Ryan. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is, and we're glad you're with us on a Thursday evening, 1010XL 92. Point five FM. All right. We have 12 Hacker After Darks left until free agency, Monday, March 13th. There are 12 unrestricted Jaguar free agents that will hit the market as of now and one restricted free agent. So every night, we'll give you one of the guys that's going to hit the market. Tonight, we'll quickly give you two. And those two are the restricted free agent, Jamichael Hasty and defensive tackle Corey Peters. Corey Peters unrestricted. He can sign anywhere he wants beginning Monday, March 13th, or at least agree to terms. You don't sign until Wednesday the 15th. As it comes to Jermichael Hasty, I'm fine with him returning as a Jaguar. Do I want him necessarily as the backup to Travis Etienne? I don't know about that. But there is no doubt that when they signed Jermichael Hasty at the end of training camp last year, I didn't know much about Jermichael Hasty, And he came in, he performed well in the time that he was given. Long touchdown runs, good replacement when ETN went down, particularly the Dallas game, I believe, right? When he had to come in when ETN got hurt. I would love to see Jermichael Hasty back in a Jaguar uniform. I think he will because he's a restricted free agent. The Jaguars would have the right to match any offer that he gets but I'd be fine with Jermichael Hasty finding his way on the roster in 2023. Corey Peters is a little different. I appreciate everything Corey Peters did, but he's 34 years old. You know, what, what could he give you on the interior defensive line? He gave you a lot last year. 
more so than I thought he could probably give you at that age. But another year, some more wear and tear. If Corey Peters is back in Jacksonville, it better be for a one-year, not veteran minimum, but pretty close. I don't know how much action he'll get on the open market, quite frankly. But I do thank Corey Peters for what he did for the team because he was a contributor in that six-game winning streak. No question about that. Free agency 18 days away. The draft a little over two months away. In fact, the NFL scouting combine next week. Hard to believe that. Next week in Indianapolis, Ryan Fowler, one of our guys from the Draft Network. Let's talk Anthony Richardson. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk combine and more. Ryan Fowler, the Draft Network, next on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL Scouting Combine next week. Boy, can you believe that? Next week in Indianapolis, we're over 300 draft-eligible prospects. We'll show out for all the scouts, coaches, and GMs in the league. And then after that, pro days and the NFL draft will be here before you know it. With that, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. He's one of our draft guys here on 1010XL, and he's always kind enough to join us here in the city of Jacksonville. Ryan, how we doing? I'm good, Ryan. Appreciate you having me on as always. Hey, Ryan, thank you, man. Before we get to the draft specific, want to talk Anthony Richardson, the quarterbacks, and more with you. You're very close to the Washington Commander football team. You worked there. You covered them for, for many years. And, boy, what a splash. Last week, Eric B. Enemy leaving Kansas City and going to Washington. There's obviously reasons as to why he did, which we'll get into in a moment. But what's been the reaction among the Washington fan base about a guy like Eric Bieniemy joining Ron Rivera's staff? Yeah, the uh, the city is buzzing, Ryan. It's um, You look back to the individuals and the faces and the talent that were in Washington. You look back to that 2013 staff, and it has been well-documented. Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Kevin O'Connell, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel. Each one of those individuals had time in Washington, never got the opportunity to potentially head the roster. And with Eric Bieniemy now as Ron Rivera's right-hand man, not just with the full reins of the offense, but as assistant head coach, this is an individual in the building that has a modern offensive mind that they've needed for a long time. The offense was it got stagnant over their last three years with Scott Turner. The skill sets are all in place. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. They're going to have a new quarterback under center, most likely, and Sam Howell. And their RPO-based offense that they ran at Kansas City translates well with what Sam Howell did at North Carolina. The running game with Brian Robinson. Meshing all of those skill sets is what Eric Bieniemy did so well in Kansas City with the talent that he had. Not just Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and obviously having Patrick Mahomes under center matters. But being able to have not just your pillars of your offense, but to take those skill sets and be uniquely different from an architectural standpoint each and every week to the defenses that you face has D.C. just buzzing right now for the name that he is. Ryan, I don't understand why this is so hard for people to understand. I see national TV shows, guys arguing, you know, national radio shows. Why do you leave Mahomes to go to Washington? Look, Eric Bieniemy wants to be a head coach. 
It's been documented time and time again, and for whatever reason, working under Andy Reid, he has not been given that opportunity. And at some point, if you want to be a head coach, you got to make your move. So now he goes to Washington with a defensive-minded head coach in Ron Rivera. He'll get much more credit if that Washington offense flourishes, and he'll get much more credit for developing a young guy that's not named Patrick Mahomes. So is it a chance? Is it a risk? Absolutely. But the end goal here is for Biennemi to be a head coach, and under these circumstances, Ryan, I thought it was the right move for him to make. Absolutely. You know, it's funny listening to as far as Eric Biennemi trying to prove himself. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. He's well-deserved and really, from a head coaching perspective, well overdue for the man that deserves an opportunity. And there's been rumors flying around Washington with Ron Rivera potentially retiring. When And if all things go south towards the middle portions of this year, well, Eric is going to be that guy that's going to be the head coach in the near future. And that's why he came to Washington for that opportunity. Again, not to prove himself. We know what he is. We know what he is as an individual, as an offensive mind in 2023, where most points always win since the dawn of football and someone that can consistently modify what he does to the players in place and going to Washington where I say, Hey, now this is a spot where I can be a head coach in the near future. I know what I do. Well, the skill sets are in place for me to flourish. And like you said, a young quarterback in Sam Howell that has a lot of talent. They got a lot of value out of him early in the fifth round. What better spot to be in for a guy that could be a head coach and a franchise altering addition for this franchise that hasn't had a lot of positives in the last decade two, three decades. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Really quick, you piqued my interest. That's fascinating. So there is talk up there that Biennemi could almost be a coach in waiting if slash when Ron Rivera calls it a career? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's a few of the rumors that I've heard out of that building, yes. Wow. All right, there you go. And, and finally, you mentioned Sam Howell. We're familiar with him from his time in the ACC in North Carolina. Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, are they both gone and it's Sam Howell's job? How will that work out in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, the enemy came to Washington with high interest in working with Sam Howell, um, things I've heard out of Ashburn. And Carson Wentz will be cut. Um, he will be gone, save money there. Taylor Heineke, he's going to he's gonna win an opportunity somewhere. Um, you look around the league and, and the individuals that got opportunities from David Blau to Trace McSorley, Tyler Huntley, Josh Dobbs. Taylor, Taylor Heineke is right in that bucket as well, and I don't think he's going to take a, a, a pay cut, if you will, because he's going to get his money to be a backup in Washington. Um, they have Jake Fromm in the building as a younger guy that has a similar skill set, if you will, to Sam Howell. If they want to bring in a potential veteran just to work behind him or draft somebody late, which I know we'll get into, um, but Sam Howell is the guy working in to week one as we sit here in mid-February. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Ryan, you and I haven't talked since all the All-Star games, the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, etc. In your conversations, things you've seen uh, since the Senior Bowl and those other type games, give us a couple of guys that have gone up draft boards as we get ready for the Combine and Indy next week. Absolutely. Um, I'll start with wide receiver Michael Wilson from Stanford was an absolute stud down at the Senior Bowl. And, and I can't say enough. I, I have to start with Michael as far as a character individual. He is somebody, whatever team he lands in, is going to be a leader in the locker room from day one and in the community as someone that you want on your team for the next five to ten years. Absolutely overwhelmingly impressive as far as who he is as an individual. Remember, I talked with him after a practice down in Mobile. He dropped one pass during the day, 
told me he went in his hotel room, took a tennis ball, and caught uh, caught the ball off the wall each hand 300 times. Little things <laughs> wow. like that. Yeah. From a work ethic perspective, Ryan, that matters, right? We, you know, had the big logo on his helmet as far as being a Stanford guy, but he's been rising up draft boards. He was a late day three guy heading into this process. He shined down in Mobile. Right now, he probably won't get out of early portions of day two. On the opposite side of the ball, Darius Rush, corner from South Carolina, wide receiver convert, 33-inch arms. He's got some technicality to work with his game um, as far as just really understanding the position. But you look at the athleticism, the ball skills, that's what matters. Creating that turnover margin for a team to get the ball back. In Jacksonville's perspective, back to Trevor Lawrence in that high-powered offense that's only going to continue to improve as we move down the line. So those are two guys, especially Michael Wilson from Stanford, a wideout, and Darius Rush, corner from South Carolina. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, at the Combine next week, a lot of eyes will be on Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. You know, it's curious, and I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts as a guy that does this every day. You could talk to one scout one day, and they love Anthony Richardson. You could talk to a scout the next day, and they think he's not a first-rounder. He is all over the board right now. What is your opinion going into the combine of Anthony Richardson? He is one of the most electric prospects, athletes, turn of the draft, in my opinion, uh, in some time. And again, you talk to scouts and execs across the, the league, and they think the same thing. But then there's that discourse. But we see guys that are big, strong, fast. They don't last long on boards. Unless you're last year and it's the corners room with the Seahawks taking Tariq Woolen in the fifth round, which was obviously still a joke. But with Anthony, he is someone that is going to be so talked about heading up to February, March, into April. The discourse with him is going to be tiring because you look at what you have at the foundational aspect of what he is as a quarterback. Big, strong arm, and the potential is through the roof with his legs and what he can do in between the ears. Because I don't think we give him enough credit as far as his processing ability and be able to go through his progressions the last few years at Florida. And I think that's something that we need to take into account with young talents coming into the league because not everything is perfect in year one. We've gotten spoiled with the Justin Herberts, the Mahomeses, the Burroughs of the world that come in and don't have that grace period, those speed bumps from the first three years in the league. Anthony Richardson has as much potential as any quarterback in football right now to reach that all-pro level. It's just about landing a lot in that right situation, right offense, and to have the right voice in his ear, just like with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, to reach that performance ceiling. Ryan, how do you stack up the quarterbacks? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. Do you have a, a one through four there going into the combine? Yeah, I'll go I'll go one, two. Um, and that's that's clear for me with, with Bryce Young at one and CJ Stroud at two. Um, there's uh, again the size concerns are there with Bryce Young and his inability to even see over the offensive line, but you watch him succeed in the SEC. And when I think back to, to my discourse as far as you know ups and downs of players in the SEC have really seeing what they're going to do with the next level. And I think about Devonta Smith and the conversation of him coming out as far as being too skinny, not going to succeed in the NFL, can't hold up, doesn't have the body armor. Well, Bryce Young kind of has those similar concerns, but at the quarterback position. But you watch him succeed. You watch him win the Heisman. You watch what he does intangibly, the leader that he is, his ability to create off script, his footwork, his ability to deliver from every arm angle. 
Those are the types of things that win at the next level. So Bryce Young is my clear number one quarterback. And then C.J. Stroud, watching him all season long this year and last, it was just it's so impressive between the ears. I love guys that win up top, above the shoulders, before they ever try to win with their arms and legs. Are there is there talent there? I would like CJ to even be in an offense that uses his legs a little bit more as we move into the first few years in the league. Depends what offense he lands in, of course. But watching him just deliver and his feet and again winning between the ears, something is you know, with Ohio State, you have all the five stars on the outside, the Marvin Harrison Juniors, the Jackson Smith and Jigbas, the Mecca Ekbuka, Harrison Jr. and Ekbuka, probably first rounders next year. And we all know about JSN. But Bryce Young, number one, CJ Stroud, number two for me as my top two quarterbacks. And I don't think that will change heading into April. Final moments here with Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. You know, Ryan, here in Jacksonville, we've taken notice of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud because there's a better chance than not that one or even both guys are going to end up in the AFC South, right? With Houston having the number two pick, Indianapolis the four pick, both of those teams needing a quarterback with brand new head coaches. Are there player comps for the folks here in Jacksonville to think about? Is there a guy in the NFL past or present that you would compare Bryce Young to and the same thing for C.J. Stroud? For me, Bryce Young reminds me a lot of Drew Brees. Just he's more overall athletic than Drew is. And I hate making comparisons for guys that are you know, just strictly just shorter guys. But you have to, right? And and player comps are, are always fun, but I think Bryce Young is is a unique individual in what he offers in his skill set because we really haven't seen him before in the league, right? Kyler Murray's an extremely athletic guy, but I like Bryce Young strictly as a passer. I do more than Kyler coming out of Oklahoma. Um, for C.J. Stroud, I don't have a player comp for C.J. Stroud. I think he's unique as well. I think his ability to have not just a rocket arm, but the accuracy to deliver it 50 yards into a bucket. And then the legs. We haven't seen his legs a ton. He was mainly a pocket passer at Ohio State, sitting right, sitting in the pocket, just delivering with DeWan Jones on his right side and Paris Johnson keeping him clean at left tackle. And they're obviously the receivers on the outside that were able to consistently separate. So I don't have a player comp right now for C.J. Stroud. I think, again, he's a unique individual, just like Price is. But biggest thing is, is for, for Jacksonville, continuing to add defensive guys that can get after these young quarterbacks because all these offenses around the AFC South are going to continue to lean on the Damian Pierces, the Jonathan Taylors, the Derrick Henrys in the ground game, boosting those guys in the middle. You got some nice linebackers to work with. You know, they're going to have young quarterbacks there. They're going to want to sling it around a little bit, of course, but bolstering up front is going to help Jacksonville from a defensive perspective. However many rookie quarterbacks end up in the AFC South this year. Ryan, uh, and that's a good point. As we begin to wrap up here with you, final question. Um, when it comes to Jacksonville, look, in years past, it was very easy for us, right, with the Jaguars had the number one pick in the draft to yeah. really pinpoint what they were going to do. Now they're picking 25th in your mock draft work and your study there at the Draft Network. What's a quick thought from you on what Jacksonville may need position-wise going into late April? Yeah, talks and talks about wide receiver. I, I don't see that happening. Um, Calvin really coming into town. I know Marvin's going to walk. Um, he may sign a cheap deal to come back. We will see if he goes elsewhere. But for me, it starts up front, and it starts in the corners room. And, and my eyes turn to Cam Smith, the corner from South Carolina. I know I mentioned Darius Rush. He was their CB2 for the Gamecocks this year. But Cam Smith is an absolute physical, uh, impressive talent on the outside. Just a dog. I, and I have, I love guys on the outside they're just physically overwhelming and take it, take offense when receivers win a rep against them. 
He's competitive in the run game. You know, teams want to force defenses to play inside out. They force linebackers to cover, and they force corners to tackle. Kim Smith has no issue doing both, both obviously in coverage and man and zone, and then blowing you up in the line of scrimmage and knocking your chin strap off. I think Jacksonville would, would benefit from having a guy on the outside like that opposite of Tyson Campbell being physical, again, in man, in zone, and adding that type of culture at the roof of your defense where we look back over the years, those physical types of defenders, both in the safeties and corners room. So a guy, Cam Smith, throw him into that Jacksonville defense, another young set of fresh legs in that secondary. Cam Smith is the target for me if I'm sitting there late on day one for Jacksonville. It is mock draft season. I know a lot of people love the draftnetwork.com's draft simulator. I'm included in that. And uh, you can check out Ryan Fowler's terrific work there at the draftnetwork.com. Ryan, enjoy the combine. Let's chat afterwards as we get ever so closer to the NFL draft. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much as always, Ryan. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. NBA All-Star Weekend. In the rearview mirror, the trade deadline in the rearview mirror and beginning Thursday night, it'll be a mad sprint to the finish. NBA teams have roughly 25 games or so remaining in their regular seasons. Bryant DePort is one of our guys covering the NBA for Bleacher Report and Forbes, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Bryant, how we doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Brian, we're good. All right. Mac McClung. Saturday yeah. night, the slam dunk contest. Brian, it was something to watch, man. What were your thoughts? You know, I wasn't surprised because I went to Georgetown. So Mac McClung went to Georgetown for two years and then transferred after his sophomore season. So I've known about this kid, you know, for five years now. Knew he was an incredible dunker coming out of high school. Like, that's how he kind of uh, came to fame. Uh, so I knew what he was capable of. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that I expected that type of showing out of him. But I knew he was, he was an awesome dunker. He's been an awesome dunker for a long time. And frankly, I hope he's got a lifetime invite to the dunk contest because he, he really saved that weekend. I'll tell you, Brian, was it Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins? No. Was it Vince Carter? No. Was it Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine? Now I think you're getting into the conversation. I mean, to me, what Mac McClung did on Saturday night is probably among, what, the top six, seven dunk performances of all time in that contest. Yeah, I mean, I think the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, what you referenced, is probably the last really memorable one, but I, I would – Imagine we look back five years from now and we remember this one either as, you know, Mac McClung's uh, first of many dunk titles or which hopefully uh, or, you know, the the one time that this G Leaguer came out of nowhere and shocked everyone. It was fun to watch. There is no question about that. Brian Topork of Forbes and Bleacher Report talking NBA here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, you and I haven't talked since one of the more active trade deadlines we've seen in quite some time from Russell uh, Westbrook getting voided out in Utah going to the Clippers, D'Angelo Russell going to the Lakers, and then of course Kyrie Irving to Dallas, Kevin Durant to Phoenix. What a trade deadline. What were your thoughts and what, in your opinion, were the one or two biggest moves that were made? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to start with Kevin Durant. Uh, 
you know, it's very, very rare for a top five player in the league to be traded at all, much less midseason. I can't even remember the last time we've had a trade of that magnitude during the middle of the season. Um, the writing was kind of on the wall after the Kyrie trade. And I wrote about it at Forbes as soon as his trade request, before he even got traded. You know, I, I said, like, the, the Nets should be moving into seller mode. And, you know, to their credit, they did. Um, I thought they would wait with KD until the offseason because, you know, I figured they'd probably want to know the order of the 2023 draft. Not that I think any team would be willing to give up the number one overall pick, even for KD. But, you know, maybe if they could get third pick, fourth pick, whatever, plus, you know, however else much they can get from the team they ended up getting. Uh, But, you know, Phoenix had a really compelling offer four first round picks, a, a future pick swap. Uh, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, like that's a lot of stuff for Kevin Durant. So I don't blame the Nets for saying yes to that without, you know, okay, we're throwing away our shot at like the number three pick in this draft. That's fine because we got plenty of other stuff in that trade. Um, You know, Phoenix now we'll see when Kevin Durant returns. Sounds like it should be uh, sooner than later. I think you have to put them certainly in the tier with, Memphis and Denver as some of the top threats to come out of the West. So I think that's, you know, that, that was probably the, the single move that has the biggest impact on this year's title race. I, I'm still just not buying the Mavericks. I mean, we saw Luca last year can single-handedly carry them to the conference finals. So maybe I'm just too down on them, but their defense is just not very good with Luca Kyrie and Christian Wood all on the floor together. So, you know, I, I'm, if I could short them, I would. Um, I think the Lakers are actually really interesting now. Uh, not only the acquisition of D'Angelo Russell, but they got Malik Beasley. They got Jared Vanderbilt. They got Rui Hachimura from the Wizards a couple weeks back. You know, all of a sudden I was watching them, I guess, against the uh, Pelicans the other night. And you're, you're watching their second unit. You're like, oh, my God, they... They have like actual NBA rotation players even on their bench now. What What is this? This is the team I've been watching for 50 games. So, you know, they've got some work to do to get into the play-in tournament. But I'm telling you, if if they get in, you know, Denver, Memphis, or Phoenix, or Clippers, whichever team ends up as the one or two seeds in the West, they will not be excited to see the Lakers in the first round. Brian, I want to get more into the trade deadline, but while we're talking about the Lakers, uh, something struck me that I heard, and maybe you can put this rumor to bed, or maybe you can, you know, ignite it a little further. There's a rumor going around that a lot of these teams are accumulating as many first-round picks as they can in the next three, four, and five years for when Bronny James gets into the draft, because they know what that'll mean if they get him (laughs) to team him with his father from a marketing and a money standpoint. Is there anything to that? I would be surprised. Like, I don't think, you know, from what I know of Bronny, I'm not a draft expert or anything like that, but it sounds like he's more of a late first round, early second round prospect at the moment, rather than like no brainer, number one overall pick. And I don't think teams would draft him so much higher than his skill level or talent level would otherwise indicate just to get like a year or two of LeBron, especially at that point, it's going to be, you know, age 39, 40, 41 LeBron. So I don't necessarily know it's that. I think they're more loading up for 
Who's the next disgruntled star that wants out? Who's the next Kevin Durant that wants out? Is it, you know, Luka Doncic? Is it Carl Anthony Towns? You know, we've seen Donovan Mitchell this past offseason, Rudy Gobert. Like, it takes now, you know, three, four first-round picks to get most of these guys. We even saw it for DeJounte Murray. So I think that's probably more the motivation. It's just teams are loading up for the next superstar trade whenever it comes couple of more for Brian Tapork of Bleacher Report and Forbes talking NBA with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, I love the NBA. I am a diehard, passionate Orlando Magic fan. And look, I wasn't losing any sleep about the Mo Bamba trade, but that's just one example where literally that was a get rid of the contract trade, right? They got nothing mm-hmm. for that except they got the money off their books. They got Pat Beverly in theory, and then they bought him out of that deal. We talked about Russell Westbrook getting traded to Utah. He got bought out. He now goes to the Clippers. I mean, it happens all the time, but that's not good for the league, right? I mean, they can't like seeing that as much as they're seeing it. If I, I, I might be misremembering, but I thought the Magic also got a second-round pick or two second-round picks in that deal, so you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But, yeah, I mean, that was definitely the motivation from – Orlando side is we'll take on a little bit more money uh, if you're willing to give us something extra in return. Um, You know, I don't think the league is too bothered by it since, you know, we'll see if Westbrook is the rare exception or, you know, I don't think Pat Bev is going to swing the title race this year since the Bulls are on the outside of the play-in right now. Uh, If a Reggie Jackson who ended up in Denver, you know, it's very rare for these buyout guys to like, have such a big impact that you, know, you have to worry about this kind of thing, like swinging the title race single-handedly. So I think the league is probably fine with it, honestly. I want to end with Orlando, Brian. Before we get there, let's look at both conferences. We talked about sure. the West a little earlier. Let's finish that thought. Uh, right now, Denver uh, looks like the clear front runner. yet they'll have instances where they go to Orlando and they lose like they did a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. So who really knows what to believe there? Do you believe it is Denver uh, or, you know, with Durant now in Phoenix, are they the front runner once he begins to, to play there on the court? Yeah, I mean, I think Denver deserves the title for now. We'll see what Phoenix looks like once – KD debuts. I mean, they don't have a ton of time to figure it out. They've only got, you know, two months before the playoffs start. Whereas Denver, especially like Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon now have been playing together for a while. So they they'll definitely have continuity working for them. With that said, Kevin Durant is arguably like the most malleable superstar in the NBA. I have zero concerns about his fit in Phoenix. If anything. it's it's like hard for me to fathom how you even stop that offense because he Devin Booker and Chris Paul are all so so good at you know mid-range around the rim three point doesn't matter they're all three level scorers so I, I don't know how you stop that offense and I could very easily see you know them putting Jokic in particular in some trouble defensively but you know Denver's got KCP Denver has Aaron Gordon it's got a couple of Bruce Brown off the bench like it, it's got some weapons to throw at Phoenix so I think with all due respect to the Clippers the Grizzlies the Lakers even the defending champion Warriors uh, you know Denver and Phoenix I think are probably the two best teams and I really hope we do get to see them 
in a series. And it is crazy. You look at the West, I think something like number four seed and number 11 seed are separated by like three games or something yeah. right now. It's absolutely insane. Brian, to the East, is it Boston? And if it's not Boston, who would it be? Milwaukee, Philadelphia. There seems to be a lot of good teams in the East. It just appears Boston right now, when healthy, is probably the best team. Yeah, I think Boston is the best team in the NBA this year. Um, that's not to say they're definitely going to win a title. We'll see what happens. We'll see who really it comes down to who's healthy in April, May, and June more than anything. But if everyone is fully healthy, I like Boston. They just have not only is Jason Tatum, you know, if not for Jokic and Embiid and Giannis, like Tatum would be one of the front runners for MVP this year. He's having a career year. Jalen Brown's having a career year. Joe Missoula, you know, despite taking over under some turbulent circumstances in September has done an incredible job with them. Uh, they can really just play. They're so malleable that you can play big with Horford and Robert Williams. They just added Mike Muscala at the trade deadline, which like, you know, compared to Kevin Durant is not going to draw a ton of headlines, but he offers them something different in their front court than they had before. They can go small with Marcus Smart, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. I, I don't see any weaknesses on the Celtics, whereas you know the Bucks' offense can bog down at times. The Sixers' transition defense is terrible, and their backup center is still a question. So I think those three are definitely you know the three strongest teams in the East. I think Cleveland is probably the only other team I could see even having a realistic shot of getting out of the East this year. But I think it's very likely going to be one of Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly. Brian DePork of Forbes and Bleacher Report. Brian, leave us with this. The Orlando Magic. Look, I, they're probably a year away. They had so many injuries early on. I don't think they're going to be able to catch up to get in the play-in situation. They might. It's going to be a tough putt. But I got to tell you, watching these young guys with Bancaro and Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, all the guards from Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Foltz, and with the knowledge that was Chicago playing like they're playing, <laughs> Orlando owns that pick. It's top four protected. But Orlando could have two lottery picks to go with this young roster they already have. Am I crazy to think that Orlando is building something pretty fierce that the NBA is going to have to deal with for a long time? Not at all. I, you know, I'm writing something for Forbes about it right now. It'll probably come out early next month. I think they're rebuild is arguably ahead of schedule. Uh, I think hitting on Wagner or Wagner in particular, and then, you know, really the Vucevic trade just worked out so unbelievably well for the Magic. Oh, it was terrible for Chicago. Just Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could argue, you know, moving forward right now, you'd probably rather just have Wendell Carter than Vucevic straight up, much less the two first-round picks that Chicago also included in that trade. So, you know, sometimes that's all it takes. You hit on one pick, you hit on one trade, you, you get the number one overall pick, you hit on that. Like, all these dominoes start to fall into place, and now, you know, everyone else on the team can kind of be in roles that better suit them. So, you know, Markel Fultz doesn't necessarily need to be the number one scoring option or Jalen Suggs or Cole Anthony, whatever. They can be more complimentary guys. Getting Jonathan Isaac back, I mean, there were questions after two years off how he would look. He's looked great, especially defensively. Like, you know, before he got hurt, he had defensive player of the year caliber upside. So, you know, there will come a time where they're going to have to start making some tough decisions about some of these guys. But frankly, they've done an incredible job 
of signing these guys, a lot of them to very reasonable contracts. So it's not like what's happening in Atlanta where they're having to basically like salary dump some guys just to get out of the tax. I, I don't see that being an issue for Orlando, at least the next few years. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, I'm intrigued to see if they can make it to the play in this year, but I think playoffs are a very realistic goal for them next year. And I'll tell you, you know, every year it was, you get Mo Bamba, you just miss out on the top four. It was a four guy. Right, right. You get, you know, Jalen Suggs and you miss out on the top three guys or four guys in that draft, but they hit on Wagner. And the fact is they've hit a home run with Bancaro, right? The Jabari Smith, yeah. Chet Holmgren talk. That was all fun and well, but clearly Bancaro looks like a stud right now. Yeah. I mean, he is the clear rookie of the year front runner. It, you know, even God forbid he gets hurt tomorrow, misses the rest of the season. I think he probably still wins rookie of the year. He's just so perfect for what Orlando needed. They needed that franchise centerpiece, number one scorer. You know, Jabari Smith is going to be a very good NBA player as well, but that's just not his game. So it makes total sense that Orlando swung on the upside rather than the safe pick. And so far, it's paid off very handsomely for them. Brian Tapork, you can follow him at Forbes and Bleacher Report. He is certainly one of our guys here on 1010XL when it comes to talking about the NBA. Brian, know you're busy, man. Thank you as always. We'll do it again soon. Of course, anytime. Thanks always, Brian. And thank you to my guy Brian Tapork of Bleacher Report and Forbes for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as the second half of the NBA season gets underway. Most teams have about 24, 25 games left in their regular season, and we will see how the playoffs shake out. NBA postseason basketball begins in less than two months. Well, that'll just about put a wrap on what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark and for Rick Ballou the rest of the week. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight. We got a lot of people to thank, including Brian Tapork again, Bleacher Report, and Forbes. Thank you to Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Always love talking draft with my man Ryan Fowler. Also had some very interesting thoughts on Eric Bieniemy, who has now left Kansas City to take the offensive coordinator role in Washington. And is Eric Bieniemy now the head coach in waiting if Ron Rivera is not long for that job in Washington moving forward? And Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. We talked Arden Key, Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, and more. And always thank Dalton Miller for his time, again, from Pro Football Network. We will be back tomorrow night, and we will do it all over again on a Friday. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will do it all over again on a Friday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.